What's up, y'all? This is John and Mike back for another episode of the Nothing Finer podcast. Like we always do in our midweek episodes, we are talking about the best games of week seven. Sadly, it is week seven already. Um, another sad thing is the Braves' performance tonight, but um, not, it's not over yet. It's not over yet, and if you hear me start to scream or get excited, that's because that's what we're doing. But we are talking to Tim Priester, senior editor for Irish Illustrated and Notre Dame alumnus, um, to talk about the big-time matchup this weekend with the USC, I would say, fighting, but they don't have a defense to fight for them, Trojans. Um, So, Tim, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Doing all right. I wish the Braves were doing a little bit better, but as far as I'm going, I'm okay. Yep. Good deal. We're looking forward to uh, USC coming to town. It's been a great rivalry for for my entire uh, long life, and and um, you know, Notre Dame needs a bounce back game certainly after what happened last weekend in Louisville. Absolutely, that was surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that was extremely surprising considering that Louisville had been in pretty much a defensive slugfest for the entire season up until that point. And then they came out with an offense that was nothing like we had seen through the first five weeks. Yeah. I don't know that anybody, nobody that I know in the media, maybe, eh, maybe a couple people and certainly people from Louisville and, and Jeff Brom felt like uh, that Louisville would win the line of scrimmage uh, either offensively or defensively. And as it turned out by the end of 60 minutes, they had absolutely had done that. So a really disappointing performance by Notre Dame. Uh, Jeff Brom has a history of upsetting top tens, top twenties and getting his team ready for moments like that. And Louisville was ready. They had a bunch of athletes out there. Um, Notre Dame was playing for the seventh straight week, but I really think, you know, they, they, they had to go to the wall against Ohio state and Duke, but, but all this talk about seven games in a row is, is, is a crutch. I mean, there are teams all over the country that are playing seven weeks in a row, eight weeks in a row. So, um, you know, just a, just a really poor performance that Notre Dame needs to bounce back from and, and uh, great job by Louisville. They were fantastic. Crowd was great. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm only part of the way watching that. I was at the Georgia game last weekend, so I didn't get to watch it real time, but I did record it, and I've been slowly getting through it between work and everything else I do on the side. But to get to uh to to get to a little bit of uh, your background, what brought you to uh, Irish Illustrated and the sports media in general? I mean, I was virtually born into it. Uh, born in South Bend, born and raised in South Bend. Um, went to Notre Dame, played baseball at Notre Dame, received a job offer from somebody that said, Hey, would you like to write for a Notre Dame newspaper? And this would have been 1982, the summer of 1982. So I've been doing this for 42 years. It's, uh, it's exactly what I've always wanted to do. I wanted to be a journalist. I knew that at an early age and the opportunity to spend a life covering Notre Dame football and objectively analyzing it. I didn't, I didn't want to get into it so that I could be Joe fan and, and, uh, and always say and write that everything is okay with Notre Dame. I, I, I feel like I was born a journalist and to objectively evaluate Notre Dame. I have a tremendous amount of respect for the university of Notre Dame and what it stands for. 
and and what they believe in in terms of uh, how their student ap- athletes represent their their teams. So um, God put me on this earth to write about Notre Dame sports. Absolutely. Awesome. I, I grew up in the uh, I grew up in the Detroit area, so I'm in my a lot of my family worked for the University of Michigan. So I grew up hating Notre Dame. And now that I've lived in the South for you know the better part of 15 years and been kind of away from that, and you know, granted, Michigan and Notre Dame aren't annual rivals at the moment. Um, I grew up hating Notre Dame, but over the past few years, I've grown I've grown to have a great appreciation for them, especially after the home and home series that they had with uh, with Georgia, and then just kind of interacting with with fans and not such a hostile environment. So it's been, it's been fun. I've been pulling for Notre Dame more than I would have ever thought I would have maybe like even like 10 years ago. Well, Notre Dame, Notre Dame is legit. What it's, what mm-hmm. it stands for uh, academically is legit when people say, Oh, it, you know, like Notre Dame's in midterms this week. I, I know it's USC week, uh, but you can go back to, I mean, I was covering Jerry Faust and Lou Holtz. Uh, and Lou Holtz always talked about midterm uh, exams and the impact it had on on his team. Now Notre Dame is coming off of a bad loss, so I imagine that they will they'll pull it together. But what mm-hmm. Notre Dame student athletes go through academically is legitimate. It it, it absolutely is. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go ahead and get into uh, get into some of the negative stuff we'd like to try to get that out of the way first. So uh, how much backlash did head coach Marcus Freeman face after his uh, late game decision-making against Ohio state a couple weeks ago? You know, a lot. Um, I mean, he's a guy that uh, with the Louisville game, that was the 21st game that he's been head coach at Notre Dame. And, you know, he, when, when he was named head coach, I mean, universally throughout Notre Dame fandom, they liked the choice. Now, you know, I think we all look at it and say, um, you know, no head coaching experience. It hasn't worked very well at Notre Dame uh, in the past. It still hasn't worked well, uh, at least up to this point. Um, But universally accepted and liked by Notre Dame fans. And so I think that he is still after the Ohio State game, still uh, in the benefit of the doubt stage with fans because basically Notre Dame outplayed Ohio State for 56 minutes and then in tragic, somewhat ridiculous fashion, they lost the game with with 10 guys on the field on defense and you can't, you know, that's, there's no excuse for that. And it it, it happened and it's a, it's a smudge on any head coach when something like that happens. Um, Now the loss to Louisville is a, I think, I don't know if it's necessarily a demarcation, but it was a game that even the no, even I, I dare say that Notre Dame's coaching staff felt very good about going into Louisville and coming away with a win. And I mentioned that, you know, everybody felt like Notre Dame would win the line of scrimmage and they did not. And so I don't know if this is necessarily a demarcation with Notre Dame fans, but I think it's something that raised a red flag a little bit after the mistakes at the end of the Ohio State game. And really being pretty fortunate to beat Duke. Actually, what should have happened probably was that Notre Dame should have defeated Ohio State and lost to Duke with the way the games transpired. But either way, it would have been one and one. It probably would have been better if Notre Dame had beaten number six Ohio State at the time. And then, okay, you know, you have a letdown, you go on the road and, and lose to number 17 Duke. But it didn't work out that way. And then it certainly didn't work out very well at Louisville. So, um, 
a lot of criticism of of Marcus Freeman, even more criticism of Jared Parker, the offensive coordinator, because they've scored 55 points in the last three games. I would argue that two of those were uh, knockdown, drag out defensive battles going into it. Uh, if you want to fire Jared Parker after the little bit of stretch here, then I guess Ohio State would feel the same way about their offensive coordinator was when they scored 17 points and Duke scored 14 points. Their offensive coordinator, it does go both ways. But Parker has struggled. I mean, they in the last few games, they got off to a really hot start. And they've struggled. Defense has been very, very good. They've been able to rely on L. Golden's defense. But uh, now Notre Dame fans are uh, a little bit more concerned about the Louisville loss than any of the previous six under uh, Marcus Freeman. So getting into the matchup this week against um, the defenseless USC Trojans, so what does the Notre Dame defense need to do to have a big day to attempt to slow down Caleb Williams in that offense? It, it's so difficult to do. Arizona did it last week, and I really think it was more a case of USC probably looking ahead to Notre Dame than than anything specifically that Arizona did, although I don't want to – I mean, obviously they played very good football. They came up with a way to slow down Caleb Williams. They have a young quarterback that did some good things for them offensively. But uh, slowing down Caleb Williams, because I don't think you stop him. I think it starts with a with a, a basic premise. And, and last year, Notre Dame lost to him 38-27, to actually competed with them quite well, mostly on the offensive side. Uh, they had obviously they had trouble with Caleb Williams. They couldn't catch him, and what was happening was they were they 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 were pass rushing like most pass rushes are, coming off the edge. But you can't do that with Caleb Williams because you end up defensive ends may come around the edge and win the edge, but they end up being behind Caleb Williams when he steps up in the pocket, and that's a really dangerous place to be because now he's moving forward. Now he's in a run-pass option situation where he's extremely dangerous, and he tore him up. He ran for three touchdowns, and and uh, they just couldn't catch him. So I think the the first thing Nordheim does is that they emphasize maintaining pass rush lanes, which they really did a great job of against Brennan Armstrong at NC State. Uh, for the most part, they did with Riley Leonard uh, against Duke. But Leonard ended up getting some some yardage uh, against them, and Nordin pulled out that victory. So I think it starts with a lot more discipline in your pass rush, staying in your pass rush lanes. Uh, they sent the second level blitzers against Brendan Armstrong. Make, make no mistake, I mean, Caleb Williams is on a different level than the two quarterbacks that I mentioned, especially Brendan Armstrong. Riley Leonard's a good quarterback, but. Um, you know, it's it's going to be it's going to be difficult for Notre Dame, but I think it starts with the discipline uh, of a of a smart pass rush against Caleb Williams. And um, on this podcast, I mean, we've loved the addition of Sam Hartman, I and mean, we we were kind of jealous that Notre Dame got him. I mean, we loved him at Wake and everything. Uh, but the last three weeks, um, the uh, Notre Dame offense scored seventeen against Ohio State, twenty one against Duke, and then twenty against Louisville. So what um what are they going to have to do? Like Sam Hartman and the you know entire offense, what are they going to have to do to try to keep pace with uh, USC uh, this weekend? Sorry. 
Yeah, well, they. I mean, it, it, their offensive line has to win the line of scrimmage again, which we thought they were going to do uh, last week. Now, I think that there's a good chance of doing that against USC. It's interesting because Marcus Freeman said Monday at his press conference that, you know, regardless of what the numbers are, make no mistake, USC has good, good defensive players. Individually, they have good players. And I've watched film of them the since Sunday night. And uh, it's absolutely true. And I knew that, but I mean, I think it was, it was validated seeing it again. Their problem is that collectively they stink there. <laughs> they're there. They haven't been very good, but you know, all it takes is an individual or two playing up to his capability to make a pick or, or end, end a series or, or what have you. But so I think it starts with winning at the line of scrimmage, which isn't, it's not easy because you have Bear Alexander, the transfer from Georgia there on the interior, and Notre Dame has struggled with their offensive line interior in recent weeks. So it's not going to be easy, but, um, you know, Sam Hartman, if he has time to throw, will hit people. Notre Dame does not have a quality group of, of wideouts. Um, they develop a couple really good um, tight ends and up until recently have been able to run the football. So they're going to have to be able to run the football against USC. I think they're capable of that. Uh, I, I I think if, if Sam Hartman has time, he will find open receivers. Uh, no wonder you wanted him at Georgia because man, he does a, he does a tremendous job of going through his progressions. That, that was one thing that I saw in film of him at Wake Forest. And then he was an early, obviously he got here early in the spring and participate in spring practice. And you immediately noticed his experience based upon his ability to go through one, two, three, and then maybe come back to one or like I've seen him, I've seen him go to his fifth look uh, on a couple of occasions this fall. So he's really good. He has the ability, but Norton better win at the line of scrimmage with their offensive line. Yeah. Bear Alexander is a big, uh, uh, someone that we miss more than we like to admit. Uh, here yeah, in, in Athens, yeah, so. he's, uh, he looks to be pretty good to me. I'm sure that he wasn't was he he wasn't getting much of an opportunity there, or what? Well, he he was behind Jalen Carter last year. Right, so right, that was that was it. part of it. But even in the national championship, I mean, what he had at least a sack, if not two. I mean, he had a couple yeah. tackles. For I think he, had he was dominant. Two. Yeah, I think he had two, and he played three of the four quarters in the national championship game, mm-hmm. and was slated to be a starter this year. And, and then, uh, yeah, he transferred the whole on circumstance the... around his transfer was odd. I mean, so the morning of the spring game, his mom was at the USC facility in a Bear Alexander USC jersey before he announced he was going to transfer. Wow. Yeah. It was, and it was then, wow. and then right one. before the spring game, he announced he was going to transfer and uh, USC put out pictures with his mom. And uh, Lincoln yeah. Riley. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure they uh, they paid him a a, a pretty good penny there. Uh, to, to oh, you can see the penthouse that he's living in on his Instagram. Yeah. He's well, uh, I, I, it's, there was no tampering there, involved. There are no, no there. Apparently, the NCAA has no rules for that, so I, I yeah. don't know. What yeah. to say about that anymore. Well, Kentucky's yeah, kind of coach just said that uh, that Georgia's you know bought their share of I, players. I, I, well, I did which, catch that. I, I'm sure yeah. that I'm sure that created a little bit of a stir around your your territory there. Uh it's one of those things where um, <laughs> when when your tight end goes for a touchdown and over 130 yards against Kentucky, 
and he didn't have an NIL deal at all until a couple of months ago. Like mm-hmm. you can say what you want, but the numbers are out there. And I know Georgia does. They they spend. I think it's like a million dollars more per year in recruiting than any, I think. I think Alabama's at number two or whatever. I mean, we spend a lot on recruiting, but NIL isn't necessarily the same, uh, you know, budget necessarily. At least that you know we can see, like you know, visibly with oh, the and, different guys. No, NIL, NIL is NIL. I mean, if yeah. you, if you can get it, mm-hmm. which most which, which most quality college football players today can get it, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. go for it. it it's uh, and that's why I say when when I talk about Notre Dame and academically and doing things the right way. Uh, this whole this whole concept of of NIL slash paying players is uh, has been difficult for Notre Dame. They don't believe in it. They never have. I'm not saying that there's never been a player at Notre Dame that you know has been paid. I, I obviously the cheating goes on everywhere, but Notre Dame is has always tried everything in their power to be on the up and up when it comes to running their their football program, but Hey, it's NIL and that's the world that we live in. And mm-hmm. you either adjust or you die. Yeah. Adapt or die. Sure. That's not necessarily on topic. It, how is the NIL market in South Bend? Is it as big as in some other places or, I, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to make comparisons. I'm sure it pales in comparison to some of the upper echelon places in the sec in particular. I think Notre Dame was, a little bit slow out of the gate with it and a little bit reluctant to promote it again, because that's just a, that's the mindset of, of the way this school is run. I think they, they, I wouldn't say they've caught up, but I think that they um, have reached modern times with it and their approach with it. And they're not embarrassed to talk about, about NIL, Um, you know, Sam Hartman didn't come here for free. So, um, you know, he, he, uh, I, I think he had, I think I think he pinpointed Notre Dame, but you know, again, um, there are nil opportunities for him that, that at Notre Dame that he certainly took advantage of. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels between Notre Dame and Michigan in that sense because Michigan was. I agree. I agree. I'm not doing yeah, that. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, with them it was hard. I'm really just glad Sam Hartman didn't go to Bama. Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Had the timing been a little bit different, that absolutely could have happened because Hartman committed Notre Dame and then Tommy Reese got the offer to go to Alabama as coordinator. Had the timing been a little bit different, I mean, Sam Hartman would have been, would have solved a lot of problems for yeah. for Alabama. I, I'm, I'm pretty certain of Thank that. Thank God he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, Tyler Buckner, I mean, I, I Notre yeah. Dame fans, Notre Dame people, don't understand why that decision was made. I mean, Tyler Buckner is not, uh, let's put it this way. I, none of us thought that Tyler Buckner was a good fit with Nick Saban. Nick Saban is tough on his players, tough on his quarterbacks. And, and, you know, Tyler Buckner isn't necessarily one that takes that kind of hard coaching. Well, so in addition to the fact that he's just not very accurate, um, you know, so, I mean, I think they brought him in as an option. I don't know if they expected the current starter to win, to go out and win the job and use that as motivation to compete. I don't know, but um, we were all very surprised that Tyler Buckner chose Alabama. It's not a good fit personality-wise between 
head coach and player and makeup, and there were a lot of better options. But yeah. it's it's his it's his life, it's his football career, so he chose what he wanted to do. Be fair, I'd much rather live in South Bend than uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Well, you know, I mean, uh, we we at Irish Illustrated, it was like uh, our attitude was: if you want to leave Notre Dame, everybody understands that Sam Hartman's coming in, yeah, and you don't want to wait a year after you just started, but transfer somewhere where you can, where you're going to play, where you yeah. know you're going to play, and and definitely be the the number one guy. It didn't make sense, but again, um, you know, he. He's a good kid. I mean, he's yep. a, he's, he's a Tyler Buckner's a Notre Dame type kid, and he made a decision that he thought would be in the best interest of his career. Mm-hmm. So, getting back on track just a little bit, where does the USC rivalry rank among Notre Dame fans in terms of rivalry games? Y'all have a ton. That's it. You know what? That's a really interesting question. But the 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 fact of the matter is that the the hate that exists at the at the highest level with Notre Dame is Michigan. Yeah. It, yes, there I, we go. It, it, it is. I don't like I grew up with the, you know, I, I was in Notre Dame Stadium when I was seven years old. I saw OJ Simpson score two touchdowns against Notre Dame in, in 67. Uh, but you know, and it's always been when I was a kid, you'd see the USC uniforms come out and scare the hell out of you. You know, because they were good. I mean, their John McKay was their head coach. You don't even probably know who he is, but he was the he was the first uh, you know great coach at USC that I knew about. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I mean, it's a great rivalry because it USC comes here in the middle of October generally, and Notre Dame goes there to end the season. And all of us sports writers here in Northern Indiana are more than happy to go to Southern <laughs> California to end the regular season. Uh, the other the other year, alternating years, is Stanford in Northern California, and that's that's a that's a good deal too. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I don't yeah, sure there are Notre Dame fans that 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 hate USC. I know Notre Dame players that played against USC um, tend to tend to have a little bit more hate toward them. But I honestly I I, I think it's Notre Dame Michigan, and you know Notre Dame and Michigan again when I was a kid. They didn't play. I, I they didn't play for the first time until '78, which was my first year of college. So I have a little bit different perspective on it. But man, that became a great rivalry right from the outset. And uh, you know, not playing every year kind of keeps that rivalry alive a little bit, if that makes any kind of sense. I do want to say that you know I've been in the business for 42 years, and when and I've been to like. 84 different stadiums in 42 oh, years. I nice. mean, stadiums that are in place of an original stadium that are in place of original stadium. Um, but the one place that I was really, really excited about in recent years to, to go to was, was between the hedges. I mean, I always heard that phrase when I was a kid growing up and it's like, you'd see the hedges on the field and wow, that's cool. You know, there, no, I don't know if anybody else, maybe somebody else has something like that. We always thought that was a cool thing. And I'll tell you what, your game day presentation with the fans before the game, during the game, it is absolutely incredible. I was worn out just sitting in the in the press box, being around the atmosphere of of uh, of uh, the Georgia fans in Athens. I'm not blowing smoke. Really an, one of the most incredible environments that I've been to in 42 years. 
that was yeah. actually one of one of our questions coming up is if you made the trip. And I will say oh, yeah. that I, th- when I went to the game, I was sitting just behind an entire row of Notre Dame fans. And it has been one of, it was still to this day, I've been to almost every game over the last four seasons. Still to this day, it is the most pleasant experience I have had around other fans in a game. Mm-hmm. Northern fans are that way, generally speaking. Generally speaking, yeah, I, I've, was... I've had oh, a right. lot of I've had a lot of bad experiences with a lot of different fan bases inside of Sanford Stadium. Mostly fans Day that wear orange. Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mostly fans that wear orange. Um, <laughs> but no, the Notre Dame fans were all super, super awesome. None of them were any sort of unpleasant. It was one of my favorite games i've ever been to inside of sanford city what i like i felt like like it was like two hours of leading up to the kickoff of like things are choreographed and you guys know that you're going to do this cheer now and that cheer and you know nor name nor name fans are a little bit challenged sometimes when it comes to making a bunch of noise now they've been these home night games when you're playing clemson you're playing ohio state you're playing usc uh maybe the atmosphere won't quite be the same with the second loss but it is usc so it'll be a great atmosphere uh but nordic fans are a little bit challenged sometimes when it comes to 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 making noise and and uh but man that's not the case of georgia at least the experience i had had being there that one time that was going to be yeah one, one of the things kind of going back to 2017 uh, i know you know we were both super excited about uh, Georgia making that trip up north. I mean, that was the first time they played north of the Mason-Dixon in a regular season game since, like, I think it was, like, 1968 when they went to Michigan. or It was something along those lines. It was pre-Bo Schembechler that they went up there. But um, just uh, what 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 was the what were the vibes like uh, from the fan base before, during, and after Georgia's trip to South Bend in 2017? I mean, I just talking from people that, that, that we know that went up there, we talked to one of my colleagues that went to the game. I mean, he's gone to, like, every game the last, like, 30 years, but – you know, Homer away, and he said it was about two thirds Georgia fans, or at least you know close. Yeah, to that. well, see, therein lies the problem that I'm talking about with some Notre yeah. Dame fans that uh, to allow another team to overtake the stadium mm-hmm. shouldn't happen. Now, Notre Dame, it, it took a lot, of tr- a lot of trial and error, but Notre Dame figured out some things uh, for the Ohio State game. Yes, uh, number one, you know, there's the five thousand seat allotment to the opponent. Well, don't let them all sit together, spread them out a little bit. And so that was, that was, that was a good idea. And then also now, you know, uh, tickets are electronic, so you can, you can track where tickets are going. And so there was a lot of discouragement uh, into uh, getting rid of the tickets. And if you do sell them to a Notre Dame fan. And so, You know, really, there was a lot of speculation as what it was going to be like for Ohio State, but we ended up coming to the con- con- conclusion that it was 85% Notre Dame, 15% Ohio State. Now it was a lot more than that with Georgia. Uh, so maybe, maybe they've come up, maybe they've come up with a with a pretty good plan uh, a plan to offset that. Uh, USC USC doesn't take over state Notre Dame Stadium uh, quite like that. They'll travel. But I don't think to the extent because they because they're here every other year, the novelty of it yeah. isn't quite live what it is for Georgia and Ohio State and teams like that. 
Yeah, I was so proud that um, Notre Dame fans basically kind of locked locked out Ohio State fans. Because again, you know, growing up yeah. in the Michigan Ohio State rivalry, um, you know, that can be pretty <laughs> pretty salty between the two of them. So I was happy that Ohio State fans weren't able to take that over because I, you know, just you know, you know, us speaking here, Ohio State fans are generally just like kind of the worst guests that you can have. Well, again, I okay, I keep throwing this forty two out, but uh, in forty two years the the two most vile crowds I've ever been mm-hmm. in were 1989 uh, Miami that oh, the yeah. stadium yeah. was called the sugar or the orange bowl rather. Yeah. So it was, it was uh, 1989 in the orange bowl, but it was a regular season game. Mm-hmm. And then it was, uh, I always forget 95, 96, which was at Notre Dame, which was at Ohio state. I think 95 was, was at Ohio state. And um they, I don't know how they knew that I was a member of the Notre Dame media. I certainly wasn't wearing anything that indicated that, but they seemed to know and treat me like I was a person in fully clad Notre Dame gear. So those were the two, those were the two crowds that, that were probably the harshest when it came to treatment of Notre Dame fans. Mm-hmm. That tracks. That, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything, yeah. everything that we've heard. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, I didn't. I mean, I, I'm again. I'm not blowing smoke. I didn't. I didn't get that feeling at Georgia at all. The feeling I got was that the Georgia fans were cheering like hell for the Bulldogs, and that and that was that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, even it, I lived in Athens at the time, so even when I was around town, like Notre Dame fans would ask for restaurant recommendations. I would yep. actually give them restaurants that I like, and you know, I it's one of those things, of, especially when I lived there, I. If you come to Athens, I want you to have a good enough time that you want to come back, whether your team's playing or not. Right. Yeah. I tell you, Nebraska, now this would have been a while back when Nebraska was still good, like the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an incredible, uh, incredibly accommodating fan base toward Notre Dame. I, it, how I remember it is when Notre Dame left the field, you, you could, the players kind of would wind their way through um, – a row of people on, you know, through a tunnel of people and the Nebraska fans were cheering the Notre Dame players as they came through, which mm-hmm. you don't see that very often. Right, right. Still that way or, or, or not, I don't know, but uh, that, that was, uh, I thought that was pretty impressive for it. Yeah. When, uh, when Michigan went there uh, to, to uh, Lincoln, I think it was two weeks ago, because they played Minnesota last week. That, that's what everybody in like tailgate videos said uh, that I saw. It was like that, at least in the Big Ten, Nebraska fans were the best, like the most accommodating, most respectful. Just you know, talk a little bit of trash, but overall, like they just like you know, John talked about, they want you to have a good time there, and they're super respectful. Yeah. So that's, that's good yeah. to see. Yep. Yep. All right. So I guess um, next question's all you. Okay. So uh, my uh, my former boss and a family friend Jody had a question. He's a big Notre Dame fan. Uh, going back, you know, forever. So it's going all the way back to the Orange Bowl, not not the Miami game, but the actual Orange Bowl itself in 1991. Uh, he felt like there was a phantom clipping call that reversed a rocket Ishmael yeah. two-yard punt return touchdown uh, that took away one of the most electrifying plays from his favorite all-time player. I mean, he talks about him all the time. Um, I just wonder, like, do you feel the same way? Like, how, how angry were you as an alum to see that happen? Uh well, here first of all, here's my vantage point. I'm I'm on the field and I am like I'm looking directly at Ragib Ishmael 
preparing to receive the punt. And and what I what I remember from it is when he turned the corner and started working his way up the sideline, the crowd on that side of the field, it was like uh, an unplanned wave. Mm-hmm. Like as he came by, the crowd went into wave mode and all arose as he as he went down the sideline. I don't I, I don't think at that point I had a very good perspective of the block. I've watched the replay a million times. Um, I mean, I guess I understand, depending upon the perspective of the official, you know, we're looking at it from a TV camera, but there's an official looking at it from a completely different angle. Um, so I don't know exactly what he saw. I, you know, I thought, Depending upon the angle, it did not look like a clip. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe the angle that the referee had um, looked looked that way. But you know, you're so accustomed to to Ismail breaking punt and kick returns that when you saw him work his way up, once he turned the corner, like Notre Dame fans are like, yeah. "Well, he's going to be gone because it mm-hmm. was it was Rocket Ismail." But um, I don't know, man. It was it was really really close. I'll give the ref the benefit of the doubt that he had a different angle on 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 the block than than I did. I I, I wasn't. I mean, I, again, I, I got into this business not to um, not to wave Nording's pom poms. It's uh, it was to cover Notre Dame and and uh, to but but to be honest, I was pretty bummed out a couple of weeks ago when they lost the Ohio State game the way they did. With that, with that Orange Bowl, I mean, that would have took away, you know, assuming they had won that game, which they, you know, they looked like they were going to at that point, that would have took away uh, Colorado's national championship that yep. year. Yep. And, uh, what uh, Lou Holtz would have had too. So, I yeah. mean, and I, know, we always that, look back no, at I mean, you know, the what ifs, but no, it was huge. But, but I tell you, the, the, the hardest loss, uh, probably prior to this Ohio State loss in recent weeks was in 93 when, when Notre Dame, uh, when number one Florida State came to town, Notre Dame beat yeah. them, and then all all Notre Dame had to do was hold serve against Boston College in the final game of the regular season yeah. at Notre Dame Stadium. Now, you know I don't know what the perspective is of a lot of people on that, but that was co- that team was coached by Tom Coughlin, who was a oh, hell of a coach. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, Boston College was ranked; they were like seventeenth or eighteenth, something like that. So it was not a bad football team, but Notre Dame had hammered them the year before. Also in Notre Dame Stadium, it was kind of a quirk in a schedule where they played back-to-back at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, but Notre Dame had, had hammered them 50-something to whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the, the expectation naturally with, with defeating Florida State was that you would that you would beat Boston College and you'd play for the national title. Uh, but they didn't get that opportunity because they lost. David Gordon kicked the field goal, 42 yards, I believe it was. Notre Dame had an opportunity to make an interception to end the game before that field goal and didn't come up with it, which was very similar to the opportunity they had against Ohio State a couple of weeks ago with the ball going through the hands of a safety. So uh, yeah. that was – that was the toughest loss for me as a Notre Dame journalist because that was a great Notre Dame team and they had just defeated Florida State and they looked destined to win Lou Holtz's second national title in six seasons. So 
how long does Notre Dame stay committed to being an independent team with the changes coming next year? And with the way that the ACC looks and the potential of a few teams getting out of that grant of rights, if they leave, where do they go? Well, there there's always been three criteria that certainly uh, Jack Swarbrick, the current and re- but retiring AD, has always talked about, and it's it's three things: a, a TV partner, which Notre Dame has with NBC, the ability to schedule uh, big time competition, which <laughs> which they certainly have this year with with, with the schedule that Notre Dame has. Uh, and then a path to play for the national championship. And so even as they move or or in addition to them moving to the 12-team playoff format next year, all three of those avenues are viable for Notre Dame. So until one of those is closed off, Notre Dame will remain an independent. And we, we see, you know, the SEC and the, the Big Ten will continue to expand up to whatever number is is still feasible but if Notre Dame has if 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 they have avenues to those three things that I mentioned they will they will stay as an independent now there are other sports um you know need need a different home and ACC to answer the question the ACC is where they would like to be but obviously the ACC is not on the the most stable ground I, I think if Notre Dame had to join one of the big two it would be the big 10 but they've always kind of been resistant to joining the Big Ten since the Big Ten spurned Notre Dame a hundred years ago yeah. when they wanted to be in wanted to be in the Big Ten. So uh it's still Notre Dame still and I'm sure it pisses off a lot of you know, I mean Notre Dame is an independent. It probably annoys the hell out of people that who does Notre Dame think they are that they can be an independent. But that's just kind of how it worked. It's something that they've always felt was important and something that they've been clinging to all along. A lot of it had to do, I mean, it literally goes back to Newt Rockney, who took Notre Dame to Yankee Stadium, took Notre Dame to USC. Uh, that that He was the guy that, that, that's why Notre Dame became so popular out East, because they play Army and Navy, Army in particular, in various uh, venues out East, especially in New York. So, mm-hmm. Notre Dame became the the college football team along with Fordham and New York University back when they played big time football. But Notre Dame became the team of New York and the East Coast. So that's why they're thought of the way they are. And so Notre Dame has always been clinging to that. And as long as they have an opportunity to, to achieve a national championship, which, you know, I, there are there are a lot of other factors that are preventing Notre Dame from winning national titles. And and a lot of that is having the kind of talent that Georgia and the SEC schools have, but uh, as long as they have a path to those things, they'll they'll stay independent. We'll say uh, the uh, on the uh, Notre Dame hockey sweaters, the uh, Big Ten logo looks really good. Yeah, the Big Ten, uh, they, they were you know it it made more sense for Notre Dame to join the Big Ten than to try to keep staying affiliated. Uh, out east with hockey and so that's worked out pretty mm-hmm. well for them acc's been been really really good for notre dame's uh other sports well hell you know i mean in 2020 during the pandemic notre dame became a legit partner with the acc yeah. we played for the acc championship which was 
something I just did not anticipate happening, but it was mm-hmm. it was cool because Notre Dame made it and uh, played Clemson, and Clemson got their retribution from the regular season. But uh, you know, they I, I I think Notre Dame would join the Big Ten if they had to join a conference and based upon what we know right now with the landscape. I would think it would be the Big Ten. I don't I don't see Notre Dame. The Notre Dame environment and the SEC is necessarily being a being a real good fit for each other. Yeah, yeah. it'd be fun though. All the all oh, the would, yeah. I mean, it would be yeah. like if Notre Dame thought they had a tough schedule this year. <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, to play Ohio State, Clemson, USC in the same year is just a little bit outrageous. USC wasn't what well, you know it, it, before it was. Notre Dame was was. Uh, was handling USC as long as uh, um, Clay Helton. Thank you. Clay Helton, as long as Clay Helton was the head coach, mm-hmm. uh, that was a pretty good rival. That was a rivalry Notre Dame really enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Like they, um, yeah, Clay Helton's over here at Georgia Southern. We, we were based out of Savannah, the both of us. So, like, it's just, just down the street for us. So he's got them rolling right now. I, you know, I think he's a solid coach, but he, you know, you've got to be pretty special to be the head coach of USC. Mm-hmm. Doesn't pretty- doesn't Notre Dame play uh, Alabama in the next few years, like a home and home? They do. I, I should know off the top of my head, but it's yeah, it's coming up. That was, uh, you know, uh, that's always been Notre Dame's philosophy of of playing the best when you can, and uh, they may be a little bit overscheduled mm-hmm. right now, but um, yeah, you know, I mean. Uh, the the whole idea of playing Georgia, I, I thought that that was that was uh, a, a really exciting home and home that that Notre Dame worked out or Georgia worked out with Notre Dame. They uh, next year they play at uh, at Texas A and M to open the season, so that should be fun. I mean, another SEC you know great environment, so that that will be fun. Yeah, I've been there before. That's a, that's a that's uh, a good environment. It's fun. Uh, Jimbo is the the head coach. Always makes it a little bit more interesting. Notre Dame's gone against gone against him not a big fan of the media from my previous experiences uh covering his teams but uh yeah you know it's always now nordane's bringing a new athletic director uh i i imagine the philosophy of of scheduling remains relatively the same but i don't know if he'll be quite as ambitious as it's been with jack swarbrick who is not not hesitated at all to to go out and find the best the best of the best yeah, that's been my favorite thing about Notre Dame is them going, I mean, literally coast to coast, north and south, and playing, you know, whoever they can get on their schedule. Yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's a dream. Yeah, I mean, if you're an independent, if you choose to be so arrogant, as many like to say, and and stay independent, then you, I, I feel like you have to do those kind of things. They're a little bit, the three teams that I mentioned is 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 being a little bit overscheduled here, but uh mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is what it is. It's uh, they're on the slate and strap it up and go. Yep. According to FB schedules, the Alabama series starts in South Bend in 2029 and then in Tuscaloosa in 2030. So Saban probably won't be there at that point. Well, and me, and there's a good chance that I won't be either, but uh, (laughs) we'll be looking. We'll be looking forward to that. I actually thought that that was a little bit sooner than than that, but that's yeah, odd. yeah. I thought it was too. That's odd that it's that that far. <laughs> I thought it was like next year. That's getting a little getting to be a little late in the, in uh, the later stages of my uh, my journalistic career. 
my oldest son will be graduating high school at that point. So I, I don't, I don't want to think about Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. If you've got another few minutes, would you, uh, would you mind picking some games with us? Uh, I'd be happy to. I, I, I promise you, I haven't studied uh, really anything other than Notre Dame USC, but I'd be happy to. I don't know that I can give as much feedback as if I had uh, a little bit of preparation, but well, let's give it a run. Oh, it, it's good. You can do rapid fire. So uh, we're going to give the spread and the over under, but you you just need to pick straight up. It's just more of a context thing. So Georgia, 31 and a half point favorite going to Vanderbilt over under 56. Uh, well, I'm going to take Georgia and to cover. I think Vanderbilt is, you know, I mean, talk about overscheduled. And Clark Lee, who was at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. who was a, a a gem of a human being in, 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 in coaching for the right reasons, et cetera. And he's done some good things at Vanderbilt, but man, there are limitations and, uh, I, I don't I don't know where Georgia uh, you know I don't know how emotionally prepared Georgia is going to be for that game but uh, I'm sure that they run away with that one. All right, next one I think is probably one of the uh, top two games of the week, and that is Oregon going to Washington, who are three point favorites over under sixty seven. That is a that is a tremendous matchup. Yes. You know the top three scoring teams in the country are uh, Washington or, or uh, USC's first USC. Washington, USC, Oregon, Washington, one, two, three. So oh, they wow. scored in that conference. Uh, you know, pretty wild that it's uh you know, I'm in 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 reading up on USC that they don't know when they're going to play Stanford again because of the mm-hmm. the state uh, of the of the uh the Pac 12. But I'm you know, I'm gonna I'm going to take the home team there. I think Oregon is incredibly hard to beat. USC has to go to Oregon here in a few weeks. I think USC will lose at Oregon. Uh, but I lo- love what Washington is doing, kind of quietly doing some great things there. I'll take Washington in a close one. Yeah, Michael Penix, former Indiana quarterback. Yeah, yeah, man, he has really become a, a standout college quarterback. Absolutely. Next game, and most of these are SEC games, but um, we've got Missouri going to Kentucky, who are two-and-a-half-point home favorites over under 52-and-a-half. Man, I thought I thought Missouri had uh, Brian Kelly and LSU last week. They did have them. They let them. They let them slip off the hook. Um, Missouri is where? Uh, going to Kentucky. Going to Kentucky. You know, I I I like that Kentucky team. I know that they can't. It's hard for them to stay on the on the field with the Bulldogs, and that showed again last week. But. Um, I like what Stoops has done there. They're tough out. I love their running back, Davis. He's a he's a hell of a player. Yes. What do you what did he do against Georgia last week? He only had like I think he had like 50 yards or so. Yeah, I think he maybe had like 80 total yards or whatever, but I mean he had 280 against Florida the week before. Yeah, so yeah. It's a, player. That's, that's a little different competition there. I really yeah. like him. But uh Kentucky at home with Missouri <clears throat> missing out on a chance. To beat LSU last week, I, I like Kentucky uh, covering the spread, whatever it was. <clears throat> uh, Texas A&M going to Knoxville to play Tennessee, who are three-and-a-half-point favorites over under 55-and-a-half. Speaking of favorite places to go, Knoxville is one of them. I love that stadium, the atmosphere inside and outside. Um, I'm sorry. I'm losing it here again. Tennessee is hosting whom? A&M. A&M. 
I don't now you we talk about respect about teams. I don't like AM going on the road. I, I think I'm I think it sounds like I'm picking all home teams here, but I don't like AM going on the road. Tennessee obviously isn't what they were last year. Um but I like what Hypo has done with that program. I'll take Tennessee. Last game we've got is Florida going to Columbia to play South Carolina, who are two point home favorites. South Carolina's struggling, huh? Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, when Notre Dame played them in the Gator Bowl last year, they had a Notre Dame had opt outs, of course, uh, but, but uh, South Carolina had a whole bunch more. Uh, and I know that they're spinning their wheels here a little bit, but Florida might be the answer to their problems. And again, I'm going to go with the home team, uh, the Gamecocks. I love it. Well, we appreciate you oh, coming about, on and talking what, to what, us. What about USC and Notre Dame? Oh, God, I, know, I, don't, I skipped over I, that one. I don't have to. Uh, I don't have to have an answer by tomorrow uh, when I do a radio show. Um, I think this is one of the, under the circumstances, one of the most difficult games that I've had to pick with Notre Dame being involved because the disappointment of last week, USC's defense. I don't know if you guys know about this, the prospect of rain, heavy winds, and temps in the 40s. Ooh. I know USC won't like that, but Sam Hartman probably won't like it either, either trying to throw <laughs> the football. So I, I actually hope it clears up a little bit more than that you know I, I think that that kind of causes it to be a little bit more low scoring than we thought the over under opened at 64 or 5 I think and it's now down to, down to 60 and a half that may be a reflection of the the uh, weather that that is anticipated here I think it's I mean I'm I'm going it's I'm going to pick a close game I think it'll be competitive I think Notre Dame will bounce back in terms of effort, but it's so difficult for me to pick against Caleb Williams, especially after I saw what he did last year against Notre Dame. I think it's going to be lower scoring, and I think it's going to be within one score. I would not be surprised if Notre Dame bounced back and won. Uh, as, as, as down as Notre Dame, Notre Dame Nation is right now, um, and 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 the, the poor optics of the way the second half transpired last week, I wouldn't be surprised because – Marcus Freeman can still get his team up for games. It's a night game at Notre Dame. I thought Notre Dame should have won Ohio State. I thought that before the game and after the game. Um, I, I think when Notre Dame's playing at home at night, they should win. And 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 I would not be surprised if they do, but I may pick USC to win the game. It's definitely tough. I'm not, I'm not sold on either one quite yet. I'll, I have to make a decision within the next like 20 minutes, but oh, <laughs> yeah. I got a little bit more leeway. Yeah. On there. And yeah. I'm, not, I'm not dodging it. I'm always happy to do it, but yeah. I, I just, I mm-hmm. literally have not decided. And we mm-hmm. pick against Notre Dame frequently when the situation dictates, we, we mm-hmm. pick against Notre Dame. So it's not, uh, not anything that we don't normally do. And I love Marcus Freeman. I mean, I think he was a heck of a hire for them. Um, one last question before you get out of here, though. Uh, so, like, you were talking about Missouri playing LSU last week. Is there any, like, segment of the fan base that you know, is kind of happy when they see Brian Kelly kind of fall flat? Uh, I'd say probably 98%. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, you do, you do not hear. I don't, I don't, again, I don't feel that way about Brian Kelly. Mm-hmm. You know, in our in our business – 
or in our industry, we have a business relationship with mm-hmm. head coaches, assistant coaches. And so my business relationship with him over the course of 12 years was good. Um, we had our moments. Certainly, you're always going to have that in press conference situations. But I thought he was from a uh, from the perspective of doing our job. I thought that he he made it relatively easy. We didn't always have the access to players and coaches like we would have liked. But I didn't have a problem with Brian Kelly. I don't I don't cheer against Brian Kelly, uh, but I promise you, ninety eight percent do. Yep. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I get it. I, I yep. get it. He felt, you know, nobody, you don't expect Notre Dame fans don't expect their coach to leave, to go somewhere else to coach. I mean, mm-hmm. it's as, as simple as that. I mean, you wouldn't expect Kirby to leave Georgia and go somewhere else to coach. And if he, yeah, if he left, I'd be probably mute for like a week. I wouldn't say a word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. that's fair. That's I don't fair. think yeah. you have to worry about that. He has no reason to go anywhere else. He's got to mm-hmm. go, man. Well, and he's an alum too, so like he, I mean, exactly. it's a college job. No, I mean, I would be no, shocked. No, yeah, there's no reason, and there's there's no way. There's well, no Alabama way. fans are trying to manifest it into existence that Kirby's going to go to Alabama when a yeah, well, I don't retires. Think, that's I don't not going to happen. Yeah, I don't think that bond is the defensive coordinator is going to yeah. going to outrank uh, his bond with his alma mater. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Hey, I enjoyed Hi, it, Tim. Uh, anytime, anytime you want to chat, I'm happy to do it. Awesome. All right. We, we appreciate coming on and talking to us tonight. Good luck. Good luck the rest of the season. We'll you see too. You play, we'll you see too. you in the playoffs next year. There we go. That's what I'm talking Hope about. So. Let's go. <laughs> thanks, All right. Thanks, man. Thank thanks, you. Have a good thanks, night. Man. You too. We want to thank Tim once again for coming on and talking to us. He is just a human library of Notre Dame knowledge with all his experience. And uh, it was actually, you know, I've, I've said it many times on the show, but as much as most people hate Notre Dame for whatever reason, the experience I had in 2019 and then, you know, especially tonight, that I, I can't hate Notre Dame. I just... You know, everybody I've ever met affiliated with the team and program are all good people. So mm-hmm. don't hate Notre Dame. That's the moral of the story here. I've come around on them in the last few years, so I'm I'm right along with you there. Okay. Getting on to what most of y'all are probably here for. That is Georgia, 31 and a half point favorites at Vanderbilt, over under 56. And uh, so Georgia leads this series all time, 60, 20 to two. There were two ties in there somewhere. And uh, Kirby has gone five in a row after losing to Bandy in his first year because Jim Chaney decided instead of giving the ball to Nick Chubb on a fourth and one, he was going to give it to Isaiah McKenzie. So that just kind of is what it is there. Um, the past two seasons – Georgia has outscored Vandy. Um, past two seasons, Georgia has outscored Vandy 117 to zero after Vandy canceled the 2020 game for, um, they said they had COVID problems, but I didn't seem like it. They wanted a, they had a, don't want to get our ass kicked problem. Yeah, that's that's more like it. Um, 
Mike, if you don't mind taking over for a second, I'm having some audio issues. Yeah, yeah, no worries. So, like you said, the past two seasons, Georgia outscored Vandy 117 to zero uh, since the 2020 cancellation. Uh, senior day at that didn't put that in there before, but uh, even if you go back to 2019, Georgia's outscored them 147 to six. And if you go back since 2016, so 2017 through 2022. Uh, Georgia's outscored Vanderbilt 233 to 33. Georgia's outscored them by 200 points in the last, what, five games? Insane. Um, so, with that said, Georgia and Oregon are the only teams to be in the top 10 in both total offense and total defense. Um, and with that said, Oregon probably falls out after this, this week when they play against Oregon. I'm sorry, when they play against Washington. Um, one side or the other, probably probably defense. At least that's what we want. want we uh, want to see, but um, yeah. I mean, there's not really a ton ton to talk about. I mean, like for me at least, I just want I want to see the running game kind of reestablish itself. I mean, obviously uh, Carson Beck has done a great job passing the ball. Um, he's looked great, top four in the country in total passing yards, and just he's very efficient. Uh, I think you said he was 17th in the country in a uh, yards per attempt. I mean, he's he's playing great, and you know, even better, you know, especially considering that Kentucky game. He's on, you know on the up and up uh, with that. But I do want to see Kendall Milton, um, you know, kind of get reestablished. Hopefully, he's healthy and plays this game. If not, you know, come back for the uh, cocktail party in two weeks or a week and a half, and kind of hopefully be this, the Kendall Milton that we hoped he would be. You know, since he committed to Georgia, you know, a few years ago. But uh, one other thing I do want to see. Is it to uh, consider uh, continue that shutout streak that Georgia has against Vandy? Last two years, like I said, outscored them 117 to nothing. Um, while it's probably unrealistic to expect a third shot in a row, it'll be awesome. Want to you know at least keep them under you know double digits at the very least. But another shutout would be uh, great to make us feel better about the defense going into the uh, the bye week uh, prior to the cocktail party. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100% as far as that the stuff you were saying on the offensive side of the ball, especially the Kendall Milton thing, I would love to see him go, and he looked fantastic last week. Um, I do want to say if you are on the stream with us, I am having uh, audio issues with getting Mike's audio across to the stream. So I will do an interpretive check. dance for those that are watching. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for the next for the next probably 30 minutes or so, I need you to interpretively dance. Um no, so it'll be all it'll all be on the audio version, Spotify, Apple, whatever you like to use for your podcast. It'll be there. Um, I do apologize. We were having some audio issues with other stuff last week, and apparently it's transitioning into uh into this as well now. So that's that's on me. That's on me. I'll take uh I'll take that. Um, so for what I want to see in this game is I want to see more havoc from the defense. And I know that in the game last week against Kentucky, they had three sacks and four tackles for loss. That's great. That is absolutely great. Here's the difference. This is Vanderbilt. The high, a glorified high school team. I, I'm playing in a glorified high school stadium. So the scoreboard floats and it's Amazing. not due to their phenomenal engineering program. Um, 
It's because they have cranes, because they didn't plan the construction to get finished on time. You would think a school like Vandy would know how to better manage uh, all that, but okay. Especially with the money they have in Vandy, you know? They would never do that with a baseball stadium. Just throwing that out there. No. No. Um, So, against this Vanderbilt team, I think that total number of seven between sacks and tackles per loss could realistically double. Um, I mean, Vandy does not have a good offensive line. And um, I want to see some more turnovers. So I know turnovers is just ball bounces one way instead of the other. And when you have an egg-shaped football, it kind of does whatever it wants to do. But Georgia's currently tied for 57th nationally with a plus-one turnover margin. Um, And Vandy is tied at 122nd nationally in turnovers lost with 13 on the season, averaging – more than two a game, you know. Okay. Wow. This could very easily be done, especially if AJ Swan is not back yet. Um, I don't think he played last week against Florida, but if I'm being honest, I didn't really watch that game. That's uh, fair. I don't know. I don't know how many people actually watch that game. Ken Seals is their backup quarterback. Um, you know, when he's not um when he's not leading his Huey Lewis and the news cover band, he's playing quarterback for Vanderbilt. So I really feel like Georgia could really take advantage of either of those guys or with some fumbles. Um, so that's what I want to see. I want to see just absolute chaos caused for Vanderbilt's offense and, or at least what they call an offense. So officially, so are you taking uh, Georgia to cover that 31 and a half? Yes. Okay. I'm I'm with you. I don't there. like it, but yes. Yeah. I'm covering the 31 and a half. Not on the record, but over 56. Okay. So I'm gonna go on the record with the over 56. I think Georgia can cover that themselves. Now, are they likely to? Probably not, but they're are they capable? Absolutely. I mean, they did 51 and three quarters against Kentucky last week. They did. And for again, we we talked about you know a little bit before. I, I I don't know if Kirby's still pissed off about the 2020 Senior Day being canceled against Vandy. Um, he seems like the person. Kirby doesn't that, seem like the guy to let go of a grudge. No, no, God, no. Um, never. Uh, so I'm gonna go with he's still pissed off about it. He's gonna call up. Uh, I hope so. Call, <laughs> call up the seniors again. It's like Kirby. This is four years ago. Are you all right? So no, fuck the motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Getting revenge. So yeah, I'm going. I'm going over that thirty or covering the thirty-one and a half, and then officially going over that fifty-six number. I'm tempted to go official on the over, but do but it. I'm not. Do it. Do it. Do it. I'm not. I'm not doing it. Do it. I'm not. Do it. Peer I'm pressure. not taking the peer pressure. Do I'm it. not. I'm not. I'm not giving into it. I can't do it. Just, just one hit of over. Just one. This one's on the house. No, no, I'm not doing it. And here's the thing. Like all the cool kids to take the over? So so here's the reason I'm not taking the over. Because I could realistically see Georgia getting 40-something points by the first drive in the third quarter mm-hmm. and pulling everybody. Ash Jones is hungry for garbage time touchdowns. So, and, and I just... I don't like the over of 56 here because I think Georgia 
will pull the starters early, especially with all the injuries that have gone on throughout the season so far. You yeah, want everybody off the field to get over a week of rest for uh, for the Florida game next week because this is a noon kickoff. So even if it's a week and an hour of rest, more than a week of rest. Mm-hmm. I thought – Or two weeks, an hour. I saw – gosh, I saw somewhere. I don't remember the exact stat, but I think they said Kirby is – he's 5-1 and one in 11 a.m. Central time kickoffs, like when they play in the uh, Central time zone. I think that's what it was. I could be wrong. What but was he's, the noon kick that he didn't win? I mean, you'd have to go – was South Carolina a noon kick? But that, but that was at home though. That wasn't a central time, like a central eleven a.m. central, like in the central time zone. I don't know. It's probably. I mean, it's not very often. That that's that's probably that's probably it. Twenty nineteen South Carolina. I think that was a noon game. Mm-hmm. Um, because I remember leaving the SEC Nation set and walking directly to the stadium. That sucks. Um, that everything about that day and that game sucked. Um. Well, that was the last home loss, right? That was the last home loss. Oh, poor, poor Vanderbilt. I almost feel bad for you right now. Because, you see, before this week, we would have all been saying, oh, Georgia wins this game 31-6, to 34-10, something mildly respectable which is exactly what you needed after the last two years of just getting completely drilled. Now, fortunately for you, last year you were only the second most dominant win Georgia had all season. First being the national championship game. But still, 62 to nothing in 2021, 55 to nothing in 2022, and it looked like 2023 was going to be a little bit of a break for you, or you only get beat by 20, 30 points. However, them dogs is back after last week. I think we all saw what happened there. Absolute mopping of Kentucky, who was a much better football team than you. And it's not like your home field advantage has been known to help you very much. Heck, 60%, 70%, 80% of that stadium is going to be wearing red on Saturday. So, again, I almost feel bad for you. Because now, for the third year in a row, you're getting clubbed like a bunch of baby seals in your own home stadium for the second time in that span, by the way. But I'm not going to feel bad for you for long because, let's face it, I enjoy watching the Georgia Bulldogs steamroll people. And I'm happy that they're back to doing it again. So go dogs. Um... You ready to talk about some more about the uh, USC Notre Dame game? Yeah, we can talk a little bit more about it. Why not? The um, the USC with a worse defense, uh, and that is Ooh. Southern California Trojans going to South Bend, playing number twenty one Notre Dame, who are two and a half point home favorites. And so I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna say it now because I will be repetitive when I say this. In college football, the way gambling lines work, the home team gets three and a half points for being the home team. So if this were a neutral site game, USC would be a one-point favorite. Um, Probably going to repeat that. 
in almost every game we talk about today because the lines are so close. Yeah. Um, but the over-under 63, and last year USC won 38-27 in L.A., um, which we saw last week isn't all that much of a home field advantage. Notre Dame is 4-1 and one straight up in their last five against Southern California. Notre Dame is also leading the all-time series 48-37-5. and five. Um, And this is just a – this is a game of – different sides of the ball that have been struggling for Notre Dame. It's the offense. We already talked about their struggles. Um, USC barely escaped Boulder 48, 41, and then barely escaped Arizona 43, 41 against scrappy Arizona last week. And Colorado didn't have Travis Hunter at that point too. And they just won by a touchdown. Yeah. Um, Random, should we petition to change Arizona's mascot instead of the Wildcats? Instead of the Wildcats, call them Scrappy Do. Absolutely, because Wildcats are played out. They do have the game. There's a lot of Wildcats. Mm -hmm. There is way too many Wildcats. It's too generic. They do have their head in the game. More well, at least let's this year too. Let's call them Scrappy Do. Scrappy, that would be a first. If they can, I mean, bro, I feel like whoever owns the Scooby Doo rights would gladly partner with Arizona and make it happen. Could you Scooby, imagine? Yeah, hear me out. They wrap their buses like the mystery machine. But in red, white, and blue, and have it Arizona Scrappy Doos. Points. Good lord. I feel like we got a winner here. Um, Somebody call Arizona's AD. Let's figure this out. Call up Hanna Barbera if that that dude's still alive or she. Oh, dude. With how old he is, he probably died in like the 90s. Probably, yeah. Um. Anyways, back to the game that we're talking about. Uh, sorry, guys. The Notre Dame USC Notre Dame two and a half point favorites. Ugh. it's tough. I'm gonna. I, so, for the sake of the show, gonna say USC covers the two and a half, but. This is one of those that I may change my mind on Saturday morning when I put out the graphic. Okay. So, like, for the sake of our betting, like, spreadsheet we got, put me down for USC. But Mm -hmm. what I actually put money on, if I put money on something, may be different. And I feel like the reason that I'm leaning USC on this, because I trust Sam Hartman with pretty much any game. Like, mm-hmm. if it is in Sam Hartman's hands, I, I like my odds. But you or Notre Dame has had three back-to-back-to-back brutal physical games. Ohio State, Duke, and Duke is not normally a physical team. They are this year, yeah. 
I was about to say that was an extremely physical team this year. Mm-hmm. And then Louisville had probably, I would say their best game of this season. Shit. Probably since Jackson was there. Probably so. Yeah. And, you know, three physical games back to back, you're in your eighth straight game without a break. I think a lot of these guys are hurting. And I think it's going to be hard to keep up with this USC offense. So, so give me the Trojans and I want to vomit. I'm, uh, I'm with you on the, uh, in the, in the Trojan horse here going with USC. Um, I do. So after we talked to Tim there, he talked about the weather being a thing. I don't know if you saw the video of, uh, I did. I saw it right as I was walking in here to record. Yeah. So those of y'all that didn't see it, USC has been practicing and they've been trying to, you know, get weather, get ready for like the elements out there. So Tim talked about it being cold, like in the forties and like raining possibly. So like one of the assistant coaches had a, you know, a regular garden hose out there just kind of spraying guys as they're, as they're. The one I saw was like a backpack bug sprayer situation (laughs) that he was like pumping up and spraying. (laughs) I, I mean, I know they don't get a lot of rain out there in uh, Southern California, but I I hope it's a They don't get any rain. They should have irrigation sprinklers, right? They should. I don't know. I've never been out that far. I have no idea. Um, But, yeah, I'm going to go with USC to cover that because, I'm again, like you talked about, too, uh, Notre Dame playing eight straight games is – I don't know if it's necessarily unheard of, but that's a lot. They played week zero. They've been going since August. It is uh, today. It's October 11th. They play on the what the 14th. Um, yeah, that's a long. And their time. first game was in that Ireland. Was that international travel takes a lot out of you too? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, you're going so what? Like what Ireland or Dublin? Not I'll go Dublin or whatever. Wherever they ended up playing, that's what like five time zones over for them. Like that's a lot. Six, I think it is because is Eastern it? time is uh, is five hours off of England. Oh, so damn! I mean, that's half half a day. Um, yeah, well, daylight, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go USC, and I want to I want to take the under, but I'm not gonna take the under there because I'm I'm feeling like Notre Dame. I mean, they held Ohio State, you know, pretty low. I think they scored what 17 or whatever. Um, but again, officially, I'm gonna go USC, but I I want to take the under, but I. Don't think I'm going to do it officially. I looked real hard at the under two, and the reason I'm not is because uh, Caleb Williams and Kyle McCord are not not even close to the same level of play. No, no, no. Not Moving on to a Pac-12 on Pac-12 violent matchup. Your bandwagon team. Eight. Number eight, Oregon, going to number seven. We we didn't talk about it whatsoever, but we put out our own rankings this week. I feel like next week we should use our rankings instead of the AP poll rankings. Ours are the only ones that are legit, unbiased. Uh, extremely unbiased, um, 100%. There's no way. Uh, no anyways, way we would be biased about it. I, I mean, it, in our rankings, Washington's third. So mm-hmm. uh, we're going we're gonna to say, I don't remember what Oregon is. I think they were like six, seven, something like that. Something like that, yeah. Um, Oregon going to Washington, who are three-point favorites. College game days in the house. The over-under is 67. Um, 
So the biggest game of the week and future big noon kickoff when they join the Big Ten, and that's gross. It really is. I well, it's a big nine a.m. kickoff out that, there. I'm a little upset that you put that in here. That's just <laughs> big, gross. Big omelet kickoff at nine a.m. Western uh, <laughs> West Coast Pacific time. That's what I'm trying to say. They they've got to change that for these West Coast teams, right? Well, the Pac-12 did something for a little bit where, like, they were doing some of their games. Like, I think they kicked off at, like, 9 nine Eastern, which is a crime. I, I know with that game day being out there, they're, you know, asking their fans to come out there at 6 a.m. for the start of it, which I don't care who's That's out there. I ain't, getting up, I ain't getting up for anybody at 6 a.m. to go stand out in the fucking cold. Absolutely not. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, the game day set is uh, is right on the water there yeah. in Seattle. Absolutely yeah, not. Not doing it. Yeah. No. That's a big no for me, dog. No, absolutely not. So, last season, UW left Eugene with a 37-34 win. Um, the last 10 years or so, this game has been a blowout in either direction most of the time. But both teams are bona fide top 10 teams this year, arguably top five, depending on who you want to argue with. With us, the, top seven at least. <laughs> yeah. The winner of this game is in the driver's seat to play for the Pac-12 title in Vegas. I just think it's odd that the game's in Vegas, considering that I'm a single team in Nevada, but that's beside the point. Yeah. Um, Father of the year, Bo Nix, and big Michael Penix are both in the Heisman conversation so far this season. Um, Hopefully with number 19 for the Bulldogs because he's just doing absolute absurd things on the football field. Mm. Um, And we've already talked about this a little bit, but Oregon is top 10 in both total offense and total defense. They're also the more battle-tested team after beating Colorado and going to Texas Tech and uh, winning that with that pick six at the end of the game there. But as the Washington bandwagon fan for this season, I'm very concerned about how good this Oregon defense is. But it looks like UW will have Jalen McMillan back for this game, their number one wide receiver, and he was out for the last two weeks, so we don't know exactly what Russ will be there. There was an undisclosed injury, so it's possible that it was disciplinary that he was out. Just I've seen rumors. Nothing is concrete there. It was just an undisclosed reason for being out, technically for three weeks because last week was a bye week. Um, but I think this game comes down to which defense is more disciplined and which defensive coordinator can come up with more creative blitzes without leaving big coverage gaps. And I say that because both of these quarterbacks have been phenomenal throwing the football, have been good against the blitz, have been good scramble quarterbacks this season. Personally, I think it's a close game, but I am sticking with my Huskies on this one and not feeling great about it. Sticking with the West Coast Dogs. Sticking with them purple, the real purple and gold team. The best, the best Pantone of purple and gold out there. I, you know, honestly, I don't even mind LSU's purple, but they use mustard yellow and call it gold, and that's just not acceptable. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Um, I'm gonna just for the uh, the sake of argument, I'm gonna go opposite of you and go with Oregon. 
just because of, again, like we talked about earlier, like you talked about before, them being more battle-tested at this point, playing Texas Tech, uh, you know, beating the crap out of uh, Colorado because they're more substance and flash, even though they wear a different jersey combination every week. But that's beside the point. Um, they, re- You know, I will say they haven't done yeah, as many much. uniform combos since Dan Lanning got there. They've kind of toned it back on that. I think they're I, – I could be wrong here. I don't know. Maybe they wore it last week. But I think they're doing, like, their throwback with, like, the actual, like, UO on their helmet and all that. Um, I think. I could be wrong. Maybe they did last week. I don't know. I didn't really pay attention to them. But, um, yeah, I'm going to go Oregon here to uh, – you know, three-point underdog, I'm going to go with them. I don't know if they went outright, but I think it's going to be a close game. Um, I just I just want Dan Lanning to have all the nice things and do well. He will when he beats USC. Ooh, calling it now? Oh, yeah, 100%. Where Where is that game at? You remember? You remember? I'm say it's in Eugene. Not oh, yeah, USC is – yeah, they're going down. <laughs> no, no chance. I don't care if Oregon is unranked at that time. Like, mm-hmm. wild things would have to happen for that to be the case. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter. Oregon's winning that game. Mm-hmm. All right. Mizzou going up, currently unranked Mizzou because they don't ha- they don't allow themselves to have nice things. Going to number 24, Kentucky, who are two-and-a-half-point home favorites. And, once again, home team gets three-and-a-half points, a neutral site. This would be a one-point spread for Kentucky, over under 52-and-a-half. And both of these teams are coming off of devastating losses, but in different ways. Kentucky goes, obviously, without saying, with that just destruction last week. And um, Missouri probably wins a ranked matchup for the first time since 2013. If Jaden Daniels doesn't come back in that game, I will say for the sake of my Jaden Daniels over rushing yards bet, I needed him to because he went out with 62 and the bet was 62 and a half. Um, yeah. So thankful that he came back in and current actually doubled up, doubled up his rushing projection. Um, anyways, Kentucky has won the last two against Mizzou, 35-28 in 2021 and 21-17 last season in Como. Um, So for my pick, it it really comes down to how bad LSU's defense is. And I know that's wild to say about a game that they're not playing in. But if LSU's defense was able to create big turnover plays against Mizzou, I would have to assume that Kentucky can do it too because Kentucky is a substantially better defense. Regardless of what happened last week, Kentucky has a better defense than LSU does. They have better corners. They have a better line. They have better linebackers. Kentucky has a better defense. And if they were able to get multiple turnovers off of this Mizzou team, I think Kentucky can do it too. And I think Kentucky also, especially with the chip Mark Stoops has on his shoulder, has something to prove after last week. And these teams are currently tied for second in the East. There's a lot going into this game. I'm taking Kentucky to cover the two and a half, and I think they're probably going to win by 10 or more with that aggressive secondary. Go ahead, 
mark down the two and a half, Ooh. and a little prop bet. Maxwell Hairston has at least one pick. Oh, wow. There you go. Oh, man. It's so tough because, I mean, I loved what I saw out of Missouri, especially in the first half last week. But like you said, Kentucky's defense. Brady is, was cooking. He Let Brady cook. Let Brady cook. Um, gosh, man. It's, oh, it's so tough because, I mean, nobody enters, you know, Kroger Field and leaves the same person. I mean, a part of you gets left there. You're Without not. Without a foot-long receipt. <laughs> No, no cashiers checking you out. It's all you scan. You steal a few things. Um, you know, get your employee discount for doing all that. Um, <laughs> gosh, golly. Um, I want, I want to go Missouri. I really want to go to Missouri because I want this game to mean something when, uh, when they come to Athens uh, in a couple weeks. So I'm gonna go Missouri. Why not? You know what? Going underdogs. Let's go. So, Do I feel good about it? No, I don't feel good about it. <laughs> theoretical question. If Kentucky only loses one game on the season, and that is to Georgia, and it was by that much, would that mean more than beating a one-loss Missouri team in a couple of weeks? If Kentucky has two or three losses by that time, what would mean more? Well, if you beat the if, if Kentucky only had the one loss, I think that would mean I think that would definitely mean more because I mean with Missouri, I mean lo- them losing to LSU. LSU is obviously a flawed team, although they're probably the only team that actually worries me coming out of the West. Just you know, if we're being honest at this point, um, as long as Jaden Daniels stays healthy, yeah, I mean the Kentucky one would mean more. Yeah, these so during the bye week, I think we're going to actually have like in depth conversations about how things could play out at the end of the season, probably talk through our ranking that week and uh, the conversations we had not on air, because if you take a look at our rankings, we actually talked quite a bit about, I would say the 15 to 25 range. We -hmm. moved those around a bunch, had conversations about why certain teams should be where. Um, So I think we're going to try and have those on air for the bye week next week. So that'll be mm. pretty fun. Oh, for sure. Next game, Texas A&M going to number 19, Tennessee. I don't understand how Tennessee is number 19, but that's beside the point. Yeah. Um, Tennessee are three and a half point home favorites, which means this in a neutral site would be a straight up pick them over under 55 and a half. And you put this in here. Does anybody actually want to win this game? I mean, both of these teams have tried to lose more games than they've tried to win. Mm-hmm. It, um, yeah. Go ahead. It's gross. I don't want to watch this game. <laughs> it doesn't seem fun. Joe Milton, you know, kind of a, a great value version of uh, of Jalen Milrow at this point. I mean, he can sure he can hit you know deep deep passes and all that, but if you need a touch, man can't spell it. He doesn't know what it is. Either of them. Yeah, I, so. And it's kind of funny because these are almost like polar opposite quarterbacks. I mean, mm-hmm. Joe Milton, if we're talking about the most basic stuff, he's right-handed. Max Johnson, left-handed. He doesn't know what hand to use. I, You know, some people say wrong-handed. I might be some yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
one is really tall and strong. One is short and somehow kind of strong. I like <laughs> polar opposites of each other, but their game is wildly similar. They leave the pocket too early. They think they're better runners than they are. They overthrow deep passes. They have a hard time hitting intermediate stuff, but somehow, some way, every week, there's a play of theirs that is fighting to make sports center top 10. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of wild how opposite they are, but their plays similar as far as that goes. Um, I will say for this game, AM is eighth in rushing defense while Tennessee is 35th. I think if AM can stop the run and force Joe Milton to throw the ball, they can win. And honestly, if Connor Wakeman was playing this game, they would win. Yeah. But he's not I'm taking I'm taking AM to cover three and a half. I'm not real happy about it. I don't necessarily think they'll win, but Tennessee against quality competition this year, the one game they've had against quality competition, um, they lost. So there's no reason to have any sort of faith in what Tennessee can do, except for it's at home, which is probably why I should take them to cover. Um, but it is a three thirty game, so or is it a night game? I don't remember. I'm thinking about the wrong game here. I think it's it's a CBS. I think it's three thirty because Georgia plays at noon on CBS against Vandy. So I think it's the three thirty game. Um, Florida South hey, Carolina is a three thirty game. I know that for sure. Hmm. I'm pulling it up. Go ahead and yeah. Ahead and, so yeah, I kind of for all I don't know it. I'm leaning Tennessee here. I, I think I'm going to go with them. Three and a half. I don't. I don't love that number, but at the same time, just after the way Jimbo, I mean, he Jimboed that game from you know lack of a better term. I mean, his coaching, like just you know playing scared, playing not to lose last week against uh, Saban. Um, I mean, A and M very well should have won that game. Like we talked about, if Connor Wigman played, they I think for sure would have won. They could have still won with uh, you know, with uh, Max Johnson playing like minimum Johnson uh, there. But playing playing at Tennessee, I think, will be tough, even though, you know, a and is used to playing in front of 100,000 people. It's, I mean, I don't feel good about it, just like, you know, like you were talking about, but I'm going to go with Tennessee officially. But, I mean, I would stay away from this game. I don't have a good feel on it, but I think Tennessee will – is more likely to cover than uh, A&M is to uh, be within three and a half. Yeah, I a lot of the games we're talking about this week are are extremely tough to mm-hmm. to pick just because of honestly how just wildly different these teams have played throughout the season. Um I don't think there's really a right way to uh to pick this game. Yeah, if I were y'all, I you know those those of you listening, I would stay away from this game, especially of, of all the games that we're talking about. I would stay away from this one. I don't Personally, know. I would stay away from pretty much every game we've talked about. Mm-hmm. There's with, not, with yeah, there's, not a, there's not a strong lean anyway. I mean, if I had to pick which one I feel best about, it's honestly the Georgia one. But yeah, even that, no, I agree 100 on that. Yeah. All right, another game that nobody feels good about, Florida going to South Carolina, who are two-point favorites. Um, let me pull up the over-under real quick while while we get started here. 
Um, oh, I left that off. Oh, shoot. That's right. I got it pulled up. Over under 51 and a half. So this is the game last year that ignited the South Carolina team that we all saw down the stretch that beat Tennessee and Clemson in back-to-back weeks. Um, I think South Carolina is the better team. I think it helps immensely that it's at williams Bryce, that it's a 3.30 kickoff. Both A&M and South Carolina are both 3.30 kickoffs, um, just on different networks. Who's on CBS? So uh, Tennessee A&M, CBS, South Carolina, Florida is uh, SEC Network. Oh, all right. All right. Um, being a 3.30 game, the Gamecock fans will have time to get all sauced up out there in that concrete jungle of Columbia. The problem is that even after they gave up all of those rushing yards against Kentucky two weeks ago, Florida is still 41st in rushing defense. Wow. And I'd say that Tennessee has a better – O-line than South Carolina, and they barely got to 100 rushing yards against this same Florida team a few weeks ago. Granted, that was in Gainesville, and we have seen the massive difference in the way Florida plays at home or on the road. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this game comes down to how much that South Carolina offensive line can keep Spencer Rattler on his feet, but I think they do it enough to cover that two-point spread. Mm-hmm. I'm with you 100% on that. Florida I don't, Has Florida won a game away from uh, Gainesville this season? Do you know? Um, no. Because Kentucky was at Kentucky. So, and then obviously they it went out to Utah. It was at Kentucky. Then Utah um, So, they, lost, they so. lost at Utah. They won their next three at home. They lost at Kentucky. They beat Vandy at home, and now they're on the road again. Yeah, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna continue the uh, winless streak away from uh, uh, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium at Spurrier Field or whatever you know, whatever the full name of it is. Uh, South Carolina, they haven't had really a signature win really this season. I mean, they've struggled you know a bit. Obviously, they got they lost to UNC in Charlotte. They got uh, beat after having you know halftime lead against Georgia. I mean, they kind of been you know. Not nearly as good as that we thought they were going to be going into the season, or at least some people thought they were going to be going into the season. But uh, Florida sucks on the road, so I'm going to go South Carolina. They can win by a field goal. That's not asking too much. Yeah, no, I'm. we're on the same page as far as that one goes. So we have already talked about my bandwagon team. It's time for you to talk about – Texas Tech. Okay, so Kansas State. Kansas State's going to Texas Tech. Going to Lubbock. Uh, Texas Tech's a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Over-under is 56-and-a-half. And, again, don't feel great about it. Just like a lot, you know, kind of the theme of just today overall. But I'm going to go with Texas Tech. Um, I'm still on the bandwagon a little bit. I don't feel great about it. Uh, Texas Tech has been largely one-dimensional since uh, Tyler Shuck went down with injury a couple weeks ago. Uh, they were able to beat Baylor at Baylor. Now that that's a huge accomplishment because Baylor, I think Baylor lost to Texas Tech, or not Texas Tech, uh, Texas State, I think earlier this year or whatever. So one of the directional Texas schools or state schools or whatever it is. <laughs> but, um, uh, and, and again, Kansas State lost, uh, you know, a thriller in uh, in Como. They lost against Oklahoma State last week. So they're, they're definitely vulnerable. So I'm going to go 
with Texas Tech to be able to run all over Kansas State, uh, cover that one and a half. Again, winning by two points or a field goal isn't asking all that much. So I'm going to go with the Red Raiders to uh, keep their Big 12 championship game uh, hopes alive uh, going into mid-October. I'm I'm here for it. I want your team to do well. <laughs> we want to both feel well about our bandwagon teams. All right, Just... you ready to get into best bets? Mm. All right, you want me to go first? Yeah. All right, so I got four here. I really one of the ones that you put on there. I I thought about heavily, but I didn't want to take all the good ones. <laughs> so, <laughs> um. Especially that first one you're going to talk about. But, um, all right. So, first one I have Indiana at Michigan. The o- I'm taking the over of uh, 46 and a half uh, with that. What did I put? Oh, I missed one. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll go back to it. Anyway, yeah. Indiana at Michigan over 46 and a half. Uh, Michigan's, well, at least going by the last few weeks, are going to cover this on their own. Um, so, Matt, Matt, I'm sorry, Max Olson, not Matt Olson, the, Guy that hasn't been doing anything for the Braves thus far, but oh, whoa, 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 whoa! The family friend you're talking about. I'm sorry. Can you call him, please? Um, honestly, I I thought about asking um the person that knows him to to do so, and I don't. He <laughs> just needs he just needs to do him. He just mm-hmm. needs to do him. He'll be fine. Yeah. The Braves, the Braves need some something to bring them together, like the Rangers have with a you know blasting Creed in the locker room to get them going. But um, that's another conversation for another day. But um, Max Olson, he had a fun stat about Michigan's defense. So the Michigan defense has played 313 plays on defense through six games. They have yet to allow an opponent to run a play inside of their own ten. So literally, they have not allowed a goal and go situation on defense all season. Granted, they haven't played anybody of of consequence. I mean. Nebraska and Minnesota the last two weeks. But again, not to allow um to go situation is pretty crazy, even you know, again, considering you haven't played anybody worth of shit most of the year. But uh I am going I will say if Nebraska had started the guy that they started last week all season, they may have a couple more wins under their belt. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Oh golly, yeah. Jeff Sims was not the answer. I feel like a lot of people knew that. Um mm-hmm. But not, not the people that matter. No, no, not at all. Um. So, uh, next one is uh, Wyoming going to Air Force, going out there in Colorado. Air Force is a ten and a half point favorite. Um. I'm actually going to go with uh, Wyoming here. Feel pretty pretty good about it. Um. With that said, in our uh, in our top twenty five rankings, uh, we put them in. You know, sneak them in there at uh, I think twenty four. I, I believe. Uh. I think they should be a top 25 team in the AP poll for for what they've done so far this season, beating uh, a almost ranked Texas Tech team to begin the season. And then they beat um, a fringe, well, they beat a top 25 team in Fresno State last week. So, I mean, they're right on the precipice of being a top 25 team. I think they should be. But um, it's odd that a service academy is a 10.5 point favorite, regardless of who they're playing, especially a team like Wyoming. Airport. Air Force, if I remember what I looked at earlier today, actually has like a top 10 offense in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they can get all the people that don't actually want to do real military stuff to go there. So it, I mean, it is it is the prime service academy if you don't actually want to be in the military. 
<laughs> oh man, that's not that's throwing shade. Fire. Most people in the Air Force will absolutely admit that. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Um. I mean, Air Force except doesn't, combat um, controllers. We respect combat controllers. Everybody else kind of does know that. Um, the Navy has more fighter pilots than the Air Force. They don't even control the air anymore. They're like, are they even a force at this point? Um, on the football field, they oh, apparently shoot ten and a half point favorite at against Wyoming. Okay, um, I still I, I still feel good about Wyoming. I mean, I feel even better about it if it was in Laramie. But um, I'm just going. I'm, I, I want to see Wyoming do a good. Their logo is one of the top five best logos in the sport. Um, I just want to see a small number outside, like right next to Wyoming's uh, name next week. So go with Wyoming to cover that 10 and a half. Do they win necessarily? I don't know. I want them to, but but I'm going to take them to uh, cover that um, that 10 and a half or, you know, their 10 and a half point underdog. I'm going to take them to uh, at least go with that. The elevation is not going to be an issue because Wyoming is actually at a higher elevation than the Air Force mm-hmm. Academy. So, and I mean, we I mean we can look back at uh you know Florida going to Utah. I think I did think the elevation made a difference for uh for Florida in that game, besides just being a shitty team on the road. But a lot of people said that I was stupid for saying that, but I have tried to do athletic things at elevation. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, if you haven't been in it, it is different. Especially going from from sea level to elevation. (laughs) A shock to the system. Yeah, going 5,000 feet above where you're at right now. Um, Yeah, insane. Um, All right, so last last couple here. I got that. Uh, Georgia Southern is going to uh, James Madison University. Uh, uh, I'm taking the over 58 and a half. Uh, They're... uh, Georgia Southern is 18th in total offense in the nation at 471 yards per game. Their passing attack is actually top 10. It's right there at number nine in the country at 337 yards per game. Uh, Jamu is in the upper half of total the offense as well. So I feel like it's going to be a shootout. Uh, Clay Helton, like uh, Lincoln Riley, doesn't like defense. So um, I'm going to go the over. And I want to take Georgia State. Um, oh, Jesus. Georgia Southern uh, outright. How dare I- you? I'm one semester eagle over here, and I'm I'm sorry. That's inexcusable. I'll make a public apology. Notes app it later. Um, Good, but uh, yeah, Georgia Southern. I want to take them outright, but at the moment I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm I'm undecided at that. But at least for right now, I'm taking them the over fifty eight and a half, not fifty eight point six, like I have written down there. <laughs> <laughs> that would be wild. All right, and then uh, last two, just real quick. Uh, Kansas at Oklahoma State going over 57 and a half, like your uh, principal with the USC over sides this week. Uh, I'm rolling that way with Kansas until until proven otherwise. Uh, both teams can obviously score. Uh, Oklahoma State, not as much as they had in the past, but they're still still a threat to put up some points. Now the team really has a defense. Um, and also, I do want to take – I would like to take uh, Kansas in, to uh, cover that three points that they're uh, an underdog in. But playing at Stillwater at night uh, is a big ask. I mean, there's no lights out there in Stillwater. I mean, they beat Kansas State last week, who was either ranked or just outside of the top 25. Stillwater gets slept on so hard. It is a tough place to play. Um, And if you watched any of that game last week, it's something that has probably been talked about before. mm -hmm. Um, Their stadium 
is like five yards away from the sideline. Like it, right. how in Athens you have like that 12 foot walkway and then the hedges and then the sideline. No, 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 no. The, like the seats are five yards away from the side of the field mm-hmm. at Oklahoma state. So they're on top of you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be so tough to, to deal with. So yeah, yeah, it's tough, but I mean, again, over wise, I think, I think it will travel. They'll go over that 57 and a half. And then uh, last one, it's actually a top 25 game somehow. I don't know how the hell Miami's still ranked after last, you know, last week. But they should rank Georgia Tech instead. I, Sam, they seize the opportunity, unlike uh, Miami. Uh, but uh, number 25, Miami, Miami's going to number 12, UNC. Uh, North Carolina's a three and a half point favorite. Um, North Carolina by 100. They're going to cover that. No problem. I, I don't. I don't know how Miami recovers after last week. That So, again, I bring it up all the time. My second team is Michigan. Obviously, going to Georgia, they're my number one at this point. But Michigan, close second. And a few years ago when um, I think it was Harbaugh's first or second year, they had that uh, that night game in Ann Arbor against Michigan State. They had that block punt return for a touchdown, and Michigan lost that game. Ultimately cost them winning the Big Ten East. Um. I didn't speak for like three days after that. I couldn't imagine if you're a Miami fan, one of the few that they have after should have been going in victory formation, not doing it, running it, fumbling it, challenging it, <laughs> it's standing, and then you losing the Georgia Tech of all teams in the BOGO game. I, I don't know how they recover after that. The team, I don't know how the team can trust trust Mario Cristobal. Uh, the fans, really anybody at that point no one's going to travel Miami doesn't travel anyway UNC is just rolling at this point with uh with Drake May so I mean this is the stone cold lock of the century of the week of the year lock it in UNC by 100. My first one is also a lock of the year West Virginia minus two going to Houston Houston's awful mm-hmm. this Houston was supposed to be absolutely terrible this was supposed to be a, a lot of other people have said it, but this was supposed to be the uh, the buyout bowl. Like whoever lost this game is going to get fired. Um, Neil Brown at West Virginia is not getting fired if he loses this game. No, no, maybe it will. Maybe so. So West Virginia played Penn State, the closest they have been played all season, as their only loss. West Virginia only getting two points going to Houston who doesn't have that great of a home field advantage right now considering how terrible they are. Give me two points for the Mountaineers, taking it eight days a week. Uh, Next one here is Stanford at Colorado over 60. And the reason I say that is because Stanford, if they are good at anything, it's line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. They're always getting linemen to the NFL, offensive and defensive. That's the one place Colorado is not good on either side of the ball. I think both of these teams are going to score some points. I mean, Stanford put up, I think it was 24 on USC a few weeks ago. And uh, you're you're saying Colorado just needs to score 42 points and Stanford 20 for me to get this? I'll take that all day. Travis Hunter is back, though. Or at least I think he's back. Yeah. Uh, 
Absolutely. Stanford at Colorado over 60. I like it even more with Travis Hunter, but I would take it without. Mm-hmm. Um, my next one is actually a twofer. And that is Louisville seven point favorites at Pitt. Pitt's not good. That's really what this is off of. I don't care if Louisville had a great game last week and this is a letdown spot. Pitt's just absolutely terrible. So you're telling me I get seven points at Pitt. I mean, they're playing in an NFL stadium and they're hitting the over of 44 and a half. They would have, I'm, if Louisville and Notre Dame can hit over 44 and a half, Louisville and Pitt absolutely can take that one. Seems so low. I, I agree. I agree 100%. I know Louisville's hit a lot of unders this year, but Pitt's just so bad that they can't not hit the over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to knock on wood because that's what I would say before a 13-10 game. <laughs> uh, next one here. Miami-UNC over 57. We're doubling down on this Miami-UNC game. Okay. I I think the team is just done with, uh, with the season out at Miami after what happened last week. And I think that both Tyler Van Dyke and Drake May are two of the best quarterbacks in the ACC. Um, you know, I think over 57 is going to be easy money considering UNC has hit almost every over this year. Um, last one I've got for you, Iowa State at Cincinnati. Take the Cincinnati four and a half. Iowa State is probably the worst power five team this season, somehow behind Houston. Um, you know, you might want to hit the under two, but I, I think Cincinnati minus four and a half is easy money. I, man, how how bad do you think Matt Campbell feels about like not getting out of there when his name is like the next? He was the next big thing, like what two years ago? Oh, he might be the next Michigan State head coach after everybody else turns him down. Yeah, he's probably like their seventh choice at this point. He's gonna. I I, I want to see it. Why not? Yeah, you, you can't handle you the you can't handle the heat out there in Ames. Like people were talking shit to him, like you know, doing the. Uh, Cyclone walk or whatever the hell they call it. And he, you know, got in the fan's face for saying he was on the hot seat. Michigan State will eat him alive. Buddy, you lit the fire under your own seat there. You mm-hmm. had Brock Purdy and Brees Hall and somehow <laughs> squandered both of their college careers. Oh, man. Yeah. I <laughs> I just just throwing it out there. And Brock Purdy uh, wasn't even good at Iowa State. No. Yeah. No, and he yeah. somehow almost won an NFC championship with needing Tommy John surgery. Yeah, shout out, Matt. All right, guys. As we always talk about at the end of every episode, follow us on Instagram at nothing.finer.pod on Twitter at finerpod. Search us on Facebook and YouTube. Find us there. Rate and review the show five stars. Send us a screenshot, and we will send you a sticker. Is there anything else that we want to talk about? Hmm. No, I don't think so. Stay safe out there. Yes, stay safe, especially because it's cold now. Um, And if you're in the the cold like I am. The streets are crazy, especially around here. Yes, 100%. Um, But y'all enjoy this week of college football. There's a lot of good games on. And uh, always remember, there is nothing finer in the land 
than a drunk obnoxious George fan. Third and a mile. Duggan from the two will throw it all the way across the field. It's picked up by Bullard. Bullard got it again. And Bennett to throw. Lobs it to the right corner. There's McConkey. He got on his donkey and made a sliding catch in the right corner. Touchdown.